Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm. I am just Al Regular Gore. I'm here with Lance, flight delay psycho, stuck up in Fargo, finally back. Took you two days to get back. That's what happens. Fargo is not that big of an airport, so you got to wait a couple days. Not only that. Yeah, it's not that big of an airport, so your options are limited. Not only that, but then there was a squall. Did you know that? Down here at the Denver airport in the same day. So I probably actually would have got out if the if it wasn't a double whammy. Yep, yep. Yeah. I, I went in to see you to teach. When I got out, which is like an hour and a half later, the storm came, dumped like four inches and passed. So I just, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what's also weird? Just a side note, but we do that on this firm is, okay, your flight gets canceled. How don't the airlines have their own like AI system and be like, okay, now we need to take a plane and we need to send it up there that day because we know there's 200 people waiting and they'll just rebook. Like they just stick with their same schedule. They just... Planes can move. Okay, they can yep. do that. Al's going to be eating the mic today. He's going to be continue to eat the mic. We're just going to constantly be eating the mic because we're getting feedback from listeners of the show's wives. Oh, man. That's they're upset. A, they're like that Al and Gore. What I, I guess what I had to mic. remind the listener was is I go, this is a free show. This is a free show. Know what, though? <laughs> I Let's just. They're listening. They're and, listening. And, well, not only that. Not only is it a free show, but here's what you do, okay? Set the volume and keep it there. That's it. Like, uh, there's no turning up. There's no turning down. You just, boom, boom. Keep your volume to a level. And here's the problem. Like, if you then turn it up because we're doing this, oh, that's your fault when we go, like, back like that. I'm sorry. This is pretty common. If I'm going to yell, I want to go away from the mic. Also, isn't auto levels doing that? Isn't it keeping I, I, it in, I, a, in a range? I even it out. I even the audio out every single time. I make sure no flashpoints. Uh, 600 episodes deep. But anyway, free show. Anyways, I will eat the mic. I, will, I can take criticism gracefully. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's my middle name. Plants, that's not your middle name. Nope. Uh, we're here with... So, we got a great show for you. We're going to talk about uh, basically... Go back into HOK, talk about doubling your fees um, and some other cool stuff. First, I'm going to start off with our friend, uh, Kyle Rogler, uh, and his middle name is Runza. He's our Runza man. Good. And he attended a uh, housing marketing forecast for Kansas City a few weeks ago, and there were some interesting high-level numbers in that meeting. So basically, the medium house price, this is southeast Kansas City, so maybe it's more the uh, upper suburbs, 715000 That, like, when when I think of Kansas, <laughs> I think of North Dakota. Kyle runs, I know. <laughs> Kansas, I and, and that's a compliment because I like North Dakota. Um, the inventory for the different housings go from about 5% to 4% to 5.5% to 3.5% months of inventory. But I thought the most interesting things were construction starts are down 
uh, by 464 from last year. Oh, we have got to solve this that's, problem. That's last year. Look at this. 1,093 uh, yeah. 1, total in 2024. Can Homes under construction drop by Lance. This is just in Kansas City, southeast Kansas City. Yeah. 2,000 over the past two years. It was 3,000. In tw- uh, that's three thousand homes in twenty twenty four. Meaning, yes. In uh, I I asked for clarification. Homes under construction dropped by two thousand over the oh past my. two years. Three thousand in homes in twenty twenty four. Does that mean in twenty twenty two there was five thousand homes? Yeah. Yes. That's we just can't stay steady. It's so, and it's all because of the Fed. It is. It's all because of the in, this money every time. We just make the money supply crazy, and then we make it not crazy. Whatever. But And also, too, like I, I think everyone needs to understand this concept. Uh, every level spectrum of the political spectrum from left to right. Because here's what's happening. I know that a lot of right are... NIMBY people and they got their house and they don't yeah, want so anything else. Left, Come on. No, 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 I know. I'm not done yet. Okay. Left is also. But also, government and the left have these great intentions. We want to make things green. We want to make things affordable. We want to make sure we do things right. And all of these things are gumming up the systems so it's not affordable, it's not green, and you're not making houses. Like, and that, that there's so much in every like industry throughout the whole government waste spending abuse in the military industrial complex yep. and then think about all the way down to the city government when you have these great intentions and they just they literally just backfire on you because you can't make the housing so you don't have competition so housing pricing doesn't go down yeah i was uh walking around with one of my colleagues quite a bit in downtown fargo and downtown fargo has improved for sure mm-hmm. but one of the you know, astute observation she was making was, which is very obvious, uh, may- maybe maybe not to the layperson, but definitely to other architects and designers and all that. We, were, you know, we walked around down there like multiple times. I mean, it was like during the day, we'd in the morning, we'd go get some coffee, uh, we'd go get lunch, we'd go get dinner. So it was it was multiple times throughout the day, and multiple times we observed, and you know, just kind of a deadness still. Still not bustling. Now it's dead of winter. That's I mean that's part of it. But this it's Fargo, so you better be used to it and that sort of thing. And I go, you got to put a ring. I go, and I I just like it's a, here's the truth about it is like well you got to put a ring around it then. And I and I I it's uh, that's and okay so like here's here's like the automobile was automobile was invented right and we have a lot of land in America. It's not like Europe. We're not like Europe, right? But we like parts of Europe because we have these bustling, diverse. Uh, city centers, cities in general, all, all that stuff. We, but we have an abundance of land. They don't. Ha- they they have less land, right? In that way, okay. So how do you how do you force the issue of the bustling center? Right? Maybe you do what Portland did. Maybe you do then which which then Boulder did, which then Longmont did, which then every city in uh, Boulder County did. They put a ring around it. Oh, we're just gonna buy up all the open space. We're gonna not serve water. Municipal water, we're not, not going to extend the services. There's a, there's a water ring, there's a growth ring, all these rings, mm-hmm. and then it and then it forces and then it forces the density, right? In theory, and then so what I'm getting at is like the reaction part of this. Oh, yeah. okay, so we're just like constantly reacting. 
Like, where's the progressive forward thinking? And I, I'm like that word, right? Like, oh my gosh, that word triggers me even. Like, but where is the progressive forward thinking? I just finished watching uh, Zaha Hadid's uh, movie on the Netflix. I think it's only 51 minutes long, or not Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime. Everybody should watch it. She had a really good point. If she wouldn't have died early, her next evolution was going to be, I am, she goes, no one, there hasn't been any new kind of urban planning thoughts in the last 100 years. And she's absolutely right. Because I just finished last last year uh, rereading Jane Jacobs' The Life and, Gre- Life and Death of Great American Cities. We're reading Christopher Alexander's yep. A Pattern Language now. And I was, I was again, I was telling my colleague this. I was like, I was, I was explaining where I'm at, just in re-understanding all of this and, and refreshing myself. And she was like, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. Like, they, why can't they just, why can't we do these, these things? And, it's, and I think it's because we're constantly reacting. We're constantly, constantly chasing the ball, basically, right? So it's the same thing with like, okay, so then, let, then they go, all right, now we need density. Okay, then they're going to try density. But then there's the NIMBYs, and, and then they're reacting to the NIMBYs, and we just keep doing this. Make If you made me theocratic king, I will just solve the problem, okay? So what you need is a monarch who has their shit together. That's yeah. it. Like you got, it has to be forced down, I'm, I'm convinced. It has to be forced down the throats of everybody, and that monarch has to be perfect. That's where I'm at. Yep. Sorry for the tangential, but that is where I'm at. Um, I, I think there's only... <laughs> I have two thoughts. One, I don't think a ring will help Fargo just because I've been in Fargo. I've been Rochester. I've been here. And then I've been down to Houston. I've been over to Seattle. And I am very pleasantly surprised when I'm in Houston and Seattle. And we see all the runners, the joggers. We're like, oh, this is great. Fargo has one big problem, and it's weather. And it's hard for people to not get in hey, I'm going to get in my car and go from here to there and just get into into that pattern. And that's a big thing. But going to uh, there's not new thought, I would agree with that. But I would agree that the th- that basically engineering progresses make that thought reality. So for one example, remember the, the bird bikes or whatever, the bird little scooter things, whatever those yeah. things are? If cities would have had the thought and be like, okay, now we're going to make pass that cut through so everyone can use those and we can and it would people would be more out and about because it's it's easier to go three blocks in one of those than to park in a parking garage get out go find another parking garage you know what i mean um and that's where i think that there almost needs to be a new form of transportation there needs to be a new form of transportation and that's the only thing that's gonna actually change something uh, okay, on to our next one. I've got an article here. Beautiful title to it. Architects are bad at business. Here's why and what we can do about it by Evelyn Lee. Evelyn, you still owe me a response to my pressing question on LinkedIn. And I'm going to read her bio. And here's why I, it frustrates me. She's not responding there. Evelyn Lee is a startup advisor in the tech space, angel investor, founder of Practice of Architecture, and host of the podcast Practice Disrupted. She's a startup advisor, right? And uh, then she's um, writing these articles for, you know, prominent places like Architizer. And my question to her was, she says, uh, architects' margins are thin. And I go, okay, define thin. And she would not put a number on thin, right? Because what is it really, right? We just, uh, last week, we, we brought up um, 
I, I can't remember his name. I think it's Lucas something. His post on LinkedIn and with the data that he brought up, and it was margins are a healthy, a baseline healthy average profitable percentage for an architecture business is 15%. Al and I, we debate maybe it's 13% down there. Good would be 20%. Great is 30%. You should be aiming for the 20 to 30%. Go to architectsguide2.com or build a better business co to check that out, especially the build a better business, build a better business.co. That's where you need build to go. A better build a better co. Yeah. Build a better co. Is that dot what com. It is? Dot com. Uh, You'll find it. But back to where, so I, I you know, that seems important. If I hey, if I was a startup advisor, if I was a business coach, if I had a podcast, this one, right? I would know those kind of numbers. I would just I would have the guts to say it out loud. Uh, back to the article. Every architecture and design firm is a business is a business first. It's easy to forget while celebrating our design awards and the stories of our con- contributions to the communities where we work, live, and play. But to pursue the work that brings us so much joy, it is first and foremost essential to have a profitable and agile business that continues to adapt to the changing nature of the economy. I agree. Architects aren't necessarily known for being good at business or even knowing or enjoying having conversations on business operations. We would rather spend our time talking about the projects, the impact, the design, the materials that went into them, and the changes we made the, within the project delivery process to make it so successful. But the praise, but the phrase, architects are bad at business has become a crutch, if not an excuse to continue the bad business and avoid the conversation altogether. So why are we this way? Al, why are we this way? Because I haven't went to... The setup is all right. <laughs> okay. I, I, she's setting up, right? Architects are often more focused on the creative aspects of their work rather than business ones. That's one point. Architects are not trained in business practices. I want to focus in on this one um, and then touch on the next ones. Anyone who went through an accredited degree program could tell you that the one-hour seminar on professional practice taught students more about avoiding lawsuits while practicing than they did about running a business ex- effectively. And if that was the ca- class... And if that class was more broadly focused, there's too much to learn in a single class to be effective. What's more, the ongoing education of individuals once in practice is often more focused on project work and does not extend beyond that. Okay, can I react to that? Yeah. I think it's correct. I don't think, I honestly don't think that we can do too much more in college. Oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, That's the only reason I was reeling back here is because I was like, please don't disagree with me in the sense of, of that. Oh, I, I, yeah, I don't even know your the take fo- on this. The focus should be design, honestly. Like, yeah. the focus is good where it's at. And, and my, my only critique with modern education in the architectural, as somebody who teaches, which is what we're doing up at North Dakota State, for example, is we got we to gotta make sure we're making these folks renaissance people. And we have to recognize and put some fences in place, like, for, for instance, with the, with the photorealistic rendering. Wait till I show you what we produced in my studio. Um, where it was just, it was like sepia tone kind of stuff. Yep. Um, I, I think once you, once you start to have a business, we, we, we had mentors. Um, and then we, we continue, we continue to talk to other people in the industry. I have a whole group. Uh, we read books. Um, we, we look outside the industry every Monday. As a matter of fact, I am interviewing somebody on this show called Monday morning coffee with inside the firm. And I'm bringing in people that are not even related to architects. So I think architects should just realize because we do have a proclivity for design and we love it and it's great, but you can't do that well without running a business well. So once you're in the management role, the leadership role, start to get a group that can critique and help you. Just like design, 
just like you were taught design, just like you improved design, all the effort that you put in to make sure the details are right, the orientation is right, the partee matches, that it's authentic and true to itself, and that it is a beautiful project. Do that when you are leading a business. That, that's my whole message is yeah. that you can take that same sort of passion and that same sort of back and forth with whoever you're, if you're a principal, you have a lead architect, right? You have other principals you can bounce things off of. You put things out there for people to see, critique, and then improve. You can do that in a business and you should do that when you're in that position, not, you know, 20 years ago when you're, when you're in college. And the shameless plug is buildabetterco.com. Yeah. Like, there's other ones too. Look it up. Entree I don't care. Architect community. Go listen to yep. the bigness. Go, go go listen to the Mark show. Go listen to Enoch show. There you go. Um, do that. Find stuff. the one for you. It's it's it. They're out there. It's it's not the AIA though. Just got to remind everybody that. Okay. Third one. Uh, architects are often reluctant to change. This one I kind of disagree with, which I, but it, which is which is weird because like, isn't that the whole design process? I don't know. I I think stereotypically as we get older we get stuck in our ways yeah across any industry architects are not good at selling their services i would agree with that i would agree with that starts with the aia i was i was complaining to my colleague up and up and that i hang out with up there quite often i was like i was like oh, here's why i'm not in the AIA because i don't I, and i explained the uh i think it was a super bowl commercial the one the one where it's a civil engineering yeah, and she goes, "You're kidding." And I go, "I'll send it to you." And she's like, "That's insane." Yeah, that's insane. I go, "That's they're, what's happening." Yep. Architects don't like to ask for help. I'd agree with that one. Uh, better communication and collaboration, streamlined pro. Oh, oh. So here, so what can better op better business operations do for architecture and design firms? There are many benefits, including better communication, collaboration. I'd agree. Oh my gosh, especially with like ra it should be rapid communication and, and then uh, collaboration and honesty. Streamlined processes, go to RevitRocketChip.com. Automated tasks, uh, you need to start, We at the beginning of last year, we started doing, looking into scripts and how we can automate things and make things more streamlined. You should be doing that. Do better use of technology. Again, RevitRocketChip.com. If you're not doing that, go there. Go get a laser scanner if you're doing remodels. That's pretty huge. A focus on continuous improvement. Maybe you need to read the two-second lean. Mm -hmm. and uh, follow Paul, Paul Aker's uh, ideas. Um, and then she goes on to say, in addition to the benefits above, better business operations can help also help architecture and design firms to attract and retain top talent, increase customer satisfaction, improve profitability, expand into new markets. Can I go back? Yeah. So, uh, yep, attract and retain new top talent. That's not just only, you know, take from other architects. People know in high school that uh, bankers make a bunch of money. Bank, uh, yeah, what's the bad term that we have for banker? Banksters? Yeah. Banksters Thank make you. a lot of money, right? Um, being in a tech firm makes a lot of money. And, and, and I remember having conversations in high school that one person wanted to be a teacher, but it does, doesn't make a lot of money. If we continue this, architects don't know business. Architects don't make a lot of money. Architects work very hard. We're not getting those very smart people. Those very smart people seem like, hey, I like, I like design and drawing and all that, but I'm going to go be a bankster yep. and work in that corrupt industry. Yep. Uh, and I'll just draw on the weekends. Yeah. I'll just I'll just paint, I'll just draw on the weekends. So if we fix this, that's what it means. I know it's a long game, but hey, let's be long-term thinkers. Let's Aren't we supposed to be design like we love to think we're designing for 100 plus years. Yep. Okay. 
designing the yeah i mean how are we not designing this uh redesigning this um and tweaking this profession yeah uh, what's the reputation honestly of of our whole industry going back to the ai um lawyers have a reputation which is hey they make a lot of money but also they lie a lot right what's ours i don't know that's a good question yeah yeah it's what? creative and fun and you don't make a lot and you work a lot that's what it is <laughs> right exactly change it okay uh shifting gears a bit uh i so i've always uh been pretty critical because I just see how it works as a person who's developed, a person who builds, a person who's been in the industry for a long time with multiple hats, not just architect. The, the, the attempt to try to modularize construction, it's a, it's a noble attempt. Yes. It is a every time. I want it to happen too. And it's kind of like Al was saying about how, how do we drastically transform maybe the American cities? Transportation. Like I'm, I'm with you on the transportation. Maybe that if the transportation was easier, better, I don't know. But the other thing too, which which architects will hate, this this will never work when the cities won't allow enough throughput to happen. Manufacturing only works at high throughput, i.e. cars, i.e. computers. I the, it's crazy. We were just talking about it in the firm. Maybe you were gone in Fargo. Probably was. So this computer is probably two thousand bucks, right? Uh, three truckloads of dirt. Is also two thousand bucks, you know what I mean? It and, is. and 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 all it is, and we know we know the guys who drive that truck. Yep. We know the truck is expensive. We know where they get the dirt or where they take the dirt from. This computer, I don't even know how this is. I, I took this from one of our other employees, so I'm I'm a secondhand computer. It's probably three four years old. I don't know. It works just fine. Besides the camera going out. Yeah. So if we're gonna get to these cost savings, and that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at is you can make a computer. For the same amount of shipping yep. three truckloads. The city needs to be on board. And, and and this is where architects won't like it. Well, then, if the city's going to be on board, then you're only approving like one to two types, right? Well, look at look at all the like dog houses, shotgun houses, the neighborhood that I grew up in. Uh, not grew up in my first house, right? There's only like four housing types. And then the trees get different. You paint them different, like... We, we need to start thinking differently and then so, somehow, somehow you have to get the, the government on board to not stop you for six months. Imagine if a Toyota shut down for like two months. It, it did in COVID. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the article is by Gary Fleischer. Uh, Fleischer. Recently, the construction industry has witnessed a significant shift towards modular construction touted for its potential to streamline Building processes reduce waste and cut down on construction time. However, these apparent advantages, a worrying trend has emerged. An increasing number of modular construction firms are failing. I wonder why they're failing. Here are some of the root causes of these failures, shedding light on the pitfalls and challenges that have led to the downfall of many promising companies in the sector. Number one, they misjudge estimations and contractual pitfalls. Number two, chasing volume over value. Number three, low margin trap. That is a problem. Four, coordination breakdown breakdowns. And if you want me to go into any of these in depth, ME, uh, five, MEP reworks a symptom of misalignment, which is one of the big ideas that they're trying to, you know, the problems they're trying to solve. 
There's Al. Here's, here's Al coming up. Number six, the regulatory hurdle. Delays in obtaining regulatory clearances have further compounded the woes of modular construction firms, introducing unpredictability into project timelines, contributing to financial and operational disruptions. If I was king, it's kind of like starting a business in this sense of like, okay, what would, what would my solution be to the regulatory hurdle? I would be okay with causing big problems by wiping out a lot of the regu regulations and for a while. It's kind of like when you're when you're growing your business and you you're biting off more than you can chew. Well, how else do you grow unless you take a risk like that? Right? Yep. Yeah, here okay. A lot of these yes. Uh knowledge gap, MEP misalignment, all that chasing volume over value. That that Here here's the issue. We 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 honestly need to boil it down to one big issue. Okay. When you you can buy a car, I'm gonna hopefully buy a truck today or, or Monday. Please God, I'm sick of looking at this tiny little. I'm sick thing. of getting in it. I'm think sick of getting in it. Yeah. <coughs> um, <I'll, laughs> it's a good. Hey, we're gonna. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't test test testosterone levels. <gasps> Why? Because of my brain injury. <laughs> uh, you need. We're gonna do. No, we're gonna test the testosterone levels after you get your new truck. Just to be fair. Right, my little car would have brought it down. It lowered them. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, uh, anyone can go buy a car. You can drive it anywhere, right? At any time, ready to go. It, it goes on all roads, yep. all places, all cities, all that. When you, these modular companies, a lot of times they have to wait for these big projects where it's like, okay, we're going to do 200 and some units, right? Obviously, we know that takes three years to get through a city. There's a huge anticipation. Now there's a whole bunch of work after that big project that all those units were approved to. It goes away. All of a sudden, did you overbuild? You have all this problem. If somehow it was like cars and it was, hey, these mod these modules or whatever, any this is how big it this is how crazy it would have to be. Every developer, when you make a development, you have to open up your lots to the free market. So all these developments, I even look on GIS, there's so many neighborhoods going up, but it's only Lennar. It's you know, like you can only build those houses there. If it was you can go and buy the fair market value plus their profit of that lot and just buy from a factory and have it put on there, you would be more like this car industry and then you would be more, you would actually have way more affordable housing. Problem people would say is like, oh, now you're going to get cookie cutter houses and, and things like that. What do you think exists? What do you think, Lenar? No offense, guys. <laughs> yeah. You think they... No, no offense at all, honestly. Thank you for yeah. planting the seeds. I was just looking at Kyle Rogler's uh, website, blue.build.com. Yeah. His houses are awesome. Yeah. The layouts are, are, are great. They are very similar to some of those big builders. He does a lot more nuance and stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm not attacking any of the big builders or anything like that. I'm just saying you're making a false argument if, if you say that oh, we can't do it this this other way. Yeah. Right? Uh, some good news, just to touch on it. New home sales are up at the start of 2024. Uh, very exciting. So uh, sales of newly built single-family homes increased 1.5% last month. Uh, that we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. And I swear, all, uh, all we need is just one, again, what's her name? Janet. Janet. <laughs> Yelling. Sorry. <laughs> That was a joke. That wasn't for your ears. I, no, no, that was fantastic. Thank, see, he's good at jokes. Quarter point. Just give me a quarter point. Biden, keep keep pumping that oil. You're crushing. Appreciate you. Uh, it's like the fifth show in a row. Okay. Uh, okay, but the two, two last things I want to touch on. Okay. 
The title of this show is called How to Command Double the Fees. And here's how you do it. This is actually the shortest segment probably of the show. And that is, let's say you have a client. I want you to, business owners, architects, everybody who's doing the service-based stuff, or product, I guess it would work too. You should experiment at least a couple times with this. It's, it's even if it's just a thought experiment and you see how the psychology works, I'm telling you it works and then it works in another way and then sometimes it doesn't work. And so let's say you have a client and you, and you give them a proposal and it's, it's a good fee. Mm-hmm. And they go, I like the proposal. I hate the timeline. What can we do to adjust the timeline? And we and. And if they're super aggressive and you're getting that feel for them to the point where like, let's say you said the timeline is six months and they go, I need it done in a month. And you go, you know, that's sort of them doing the Trump thing with the art of negotiation, asking for too much. And maybe you're hopefully going to meet in the middle. That's my idea. That's what I, I, my thought that maybe that's a, that's their, that's their whatever back of their head. Offer to cut the timeline in half and double your fees and check with your consultants to see if they're okay with that. Often they will be. Okay, then send them a new proposal and an adjusted timeline. Say, hey, we can do an expedited fee. They're either going to say they're either going to say yes to that. Believe it or not, I swear it's happened to us multiple times now. Or they're going to say, just kidding. I'm no. They're going to say no to that. And they're going to say, just kidding. I'm not in that big of a hurry. Let's go back to the original proposal. And you go, great. Whatever. We're happy to serve in whatever capacity you want. Or they'll say no entirely. That's actually been the minority in my experience. So everybody, I want you to just try it one time in your professional career if you get the chance. It is worth, even if it's just not, if it's just entertaining. I'm serious. Well, and we just did it. We we just did it on a project of ours. So yeah, it it makes complete sense uh, psychologically because hey, can you do this in half the time? Okay, yes. Here's the cost for that, and you're putting it back in their court. Yeah. Do I want it? Last thing, uh, finish the HOK book. I just can't recommend it enough. Read it to your wife softly, okay, if you're listening to this, so you don't hurt her ears, and, you know, it'll all work out well for you. I, I should. My wife will. She loves me, Packer. but but <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if she will if uh, I'm reading her book. It's, she it's doesn't a, want it. It's so good. It's so good. It le- it's leading me to a meeting today, which is actually part of the, um, part of, uh, part of the uh, talk today, so... On page 46, uh, we're moving ahead, and we're going to keep doing this until we finish it. I'm just going to summarize the bullet points for everybody. At the end of Chapter 5, they have five points, so five more ways to design a world-class firm. Number one, expand by buying other firms when you have the money and need instant credibility. I am headed to a meeting to to talk to people about this today because there are, no matter what firm you are, I guarantee there's a class or type of work that you don't have a portfolio for can compliment you yes so you got to think about like okay if i buy that if i get whatever x work maybe i want to do spaceship houses yes all right spaceship houses how can i compliment that firm once i buy them take over all that and do it number two expand by growing project offices and a branch offices f9 denver uh number three establish just a marketing office in a new city when you don't have the money number four remember that sometimes the best design solution comes from second chances or comes from an underling I love that. How many times have you designed Bond Farm? And this next time is going to be just like... It's looking good. Oh, good. Yeah. Even it's better. Looking, it's, yep, yep. Okay. Yeah. Very I mean? neighborhoody. Very like you want to walk through it, live there. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy. Yeah. 
Number five, work to win a high-profile commission early in your company's development for the good for the good press and national reputation it can spark. 100%. you got to try to align with the media in that sort of way. We'll have our Wednesday meeting one of these days. It's going to happen, yeah. That's all I got, Al. Do you have anything? Should I take nope. us out? Take okay, us out. if you like this episode, you're watching on YouTube, leave us a positive comment. If you're listening terrestrially, leave us a five-star review and also make sure, again, you take that volume. Okay, put it at whatever, and then you just leave it there. And then when Al or me do this, and don't turn it up because we're coming back, and you'll be great. See you next week.